0: Good afternoon, this is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. Mummy, where's my dorsal fin? is a book that follows the adventures of a little Indo-Pacific finless porpoise calf named Aluna and her mother Cheria as they explored their beautiful habitat around the Langkawi Archipelago. Now, described as a story of discovery, learning and hope in a changing world, the book was also inspired by the natural beauty of Lankawi, and the development of the book was supported by Yayasan Saim Darbi. So today on the show, I'm catching up with marine biologist Dr Louisa Ponampulam. She's the chairperson and executive director of the Marisat Research Organization. She is also the author of the book uh, and she's joining me now to share more about the stories that inspired this children's storybook that she has created and how also she and other scientists are using writing and also the creative arts to spread the message of conservation of the environment. Welcome, Louisa. How are you today?
1: Hi, Juliet.
0: Very well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. You're in the studio today. So lovely to have you back. It's How been a while. F- it's been a while. Uh, I'm always calling you for budget commentary. So now we're going to discuss something a little bit more fun. Uh, your okay. It's not really your first children's book, but your first children's story book. Would I be right in saying that? I think as yes, it would be my first sort of um, authored. Storybook of any kind. Okay, okay. And it's a beautiful book. Congratulations, first and foremost. Uh, You know, delightful, beautiful illustrations by Celine Tay. And uh, yeah, really, really excited to talk about it. And I was reading that um, this may actually be the very first storybook in the world to feature an Indo-Pacific finless porpoise, right? As the main character. I know there's a nice story behind why you chose this.
1: Yes, I I believe that um, I did a search. I didn't find... Any uh, storybook on the Indo-Pacific finless porpoise itself, so perhaps this one is the first. And this book really is—I I said it at the book launch—it was uh, inspired by Langkawi. The book was inspired in Langkawi. It was written in Langkawi. I spent about three weeks last year, just uh, you know, stayed in Langkawi and um, chased many sunsets, and <laughs> you know, to find inspiration in in the writing and it really is uh, for me it's a uh, a gift from langkawi to the world um and i wanted it to be a book that was fun um fictional but based on fact mm. so i always say that this is a an encyclopedic uh like um storybook for children but you know if if you're young at heart and you like adventure or you want to learn a little bit more about this um, little species as well as Langkawi archipelago's natural beauty then I think this book is quite versatile and it is for everyone. Um, So lots of people have asked me uh, why Langkawi you know why is the scene set in Langkawi and why the finless porpoise. Mm I think, first of all, let's start with um, the finless porpoise. It is what I consider an underdog species. They're difficult to see in the wild just because they lack a dorsal fin, as per their name, (laughs) finless. And they're quite small. And often when they are surfacing, they just look like a floating rubber tire. And they don't breach, they don't jump, they don't leap, and they don't do all those fun things that people often associate dolphins or marine mammals with. So, therefore, they don't capture people's imagination, they don't capture people's hearts, and they don't capture, um, they don't target people's um, heartstrings in particular. But over the years, what we found through our research uh, around the Langkawi Archipelago and Northwestern Peninsula, Malaysia, is that this is one of the most regularly occurring species of cetacean up in that region. And we've also seen um, these animals uh, occur in groups that are typically quite large for the species. So I've been um, you know, lucky enough to have done some research work in um, Vietnam, Thailand and across uh, ASEAN region and even in other parts of Malaysia. And I've never seen um, finless porpoise groups uh, as big as we've seen them around Langkawi. Okay. Now not even we don't even get such big groups even in our other field site in Matang in Perak. So for some reason the Langkawi archipelago is a special place and I I dare say it's one of the best places in the region and even in Malaysia to to try and see these guys if ever, anyone ever wanted to. And I think what's also special um for me is that When we started doing research in Langkawi in 2010, so it's a long time ago, on our very first survey, we we went to Langkawi because um, we were told that there are dolphins there. So this was us, you know, fresh off coming home from abroad after finishing our studies, trying to start up something in Malaysia. And we could have picked anywhere and someone said, hey, there are dolphins in Langkawi. Uh, And so we went, got some grant money and we went. But on that first survey in, I still remember, October 2010, uh, we didn't see any dolphins at all. Okay. We saw some finless porpoises. In fact, finless porpoise was the very first uh, cetacean species that we ever saw on any of our Langkawi surveys, oh, right? That, that very first time. Mm-hmm. So it's the first thing we saw and, you know, in a blink of an eye, it was gone. And I remember thinking, oh... It's gone. It's gone. <laughs> was it real? Like, did I, was it my eyes? Um, anyways, and we didn't find dolphins till the very next survey when we went back in November 2010. So, but through the years, I've grown, um, you know, a liking for these for these little guys because they're really underappreciated. And when we look at, um, so Mara keeps a, a record of um, s- strandings that, wash, you know, of marine mammals mm-hmm. that wash up on our shores, mm-hmm. whether it's strandings we encounter ourselves or when we do some searching online through social media and people just posts about things that die on the beach and stuff. And actually, the Phyllis porpoise comes up tops in terms oh, of the number of records of dead stranded marine mammals that we have. So I feel like... um they, they need a bit more love. They need a bit more spotlight. And what more um, in Langkawi, uh, where they seem to be you know um, thriving. Uh, and in recent years, we've started using drones um, to try and study their behaviour. And what what you see from the boat, these porpoises, they look like floating rubber tyres. They just float there and then they're gone. Very, if you're lucky, they might actually porpoise out of the water where then you can see their little rounded head. But typically, you just see like a little bump in the water and then they're gone. But when you watch them from above, from drones, you actually realise that they're actually really interesting. We've seen um, that calves, uh, pauper's calves, love rolling over the mum's back. I think it's like a way to maintain bond the bond between mother and calf and maybe just being playful because it's a little porpoise, right? So we've seen them like just roll across the the back of the mum and then we've seen them like hunt, you know, chase after small ikan bilis and what what is interesting is the way they swim, they almost do like a somersault in the water. Yeah, it's actually very cool. So I think that they deserve much more um, attention and love than we give them and in fact, I think, was it last year or the year before, um, there was a scientific paper that was published by this guy named um, Temple, Temple et al. And he basically looked at the uh, bycatch risk of marine mammals or cetaceans across the world. And he made a top 10 list of cetaceans that were at highest bycatch risk. So bycatch is the accidental entanglement in fishing gear. Uh So he made a top 10 list of cetacean species that um, had the highest bycatch risk across the world. And the finless porpoise... Um, made the list. That Finless Porpoise, whom we don't always think about, um, made that list in the top 10 list of species that have highest bycatch risk. So when you put all these things together, it, you know, it's like out of sight, out of mind. So because it's a species that doesn't quite capture the imagination immediately, I figured there needs to be a way to try and raise the portfolio, the profile of this species that is a part of the Fabric of the cetacean community out there, uh, and it's so much a part of um, Langkawi. And as to Langkawi itself, why you know finless porpoises occur all around Malaysian the Malaysian coast in the coastal waters, but why Langkawi? One of course because we've done so much work there, we've invested so much in um, discovering and protecting marine mammals and their habitat there, Uh, but also because. You know, I'm in Langkawi a lot. And so often people, when they ask me, oh, where are you off to next? I say Langkawi. Half the time, when someone asks me that question, the response is most likely Langkawi. And then the the response after that that I get is, Langkawi again. Eh, ah. <laughs> hey, not boring. Ah. I've been there so many times, nothing to do. Lah. And, and for me, it's 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 such a pity because I, I can see where they're coming from. Um and I think when when we say the word Langkawi, a lot of times the what is invoked in people's minds is duty free shopping, mm. right?
0: Beach holidays, yeah, beach and... holidays,
1: Pantai uh, Chenang, banana boat, cable car, all those things, which is all fair and well. But no one has ever actually, uh, when I talked to them about Langkawi, actually talked about the marine life. Mm. And it's it's an irony because for an island, you know, an archipelago that basically has more than 100 islands, how is it that the marine life doesn't come into mind at all? And because we've been fortunate to do this research in Langkawi for so many years, we've literally circumvented the whole archipelago many times over. And we've been to these, you know, nooks and crannies and bays, you know, um, and and little secret beaches that the... um, the regular tourist route doesn't go to, and I'm I'm always I mean even till today after s- like the f- five millionth time of you know <laughs> being around Langkawi, I am never not taken you know my breath is never not taken away. Yeah. I just I just sit in there and I just marvel at the scenery in front of me and I just soak it all in, and it's like it's such a pity that maybe not everybody can see this or realizes that. This is the real Langkawi. This is why she's beautiful, and despite all the rapid development that you know that comes and goes on the island, it's such a reminder why Langkawi is worth protecting. She's worth preserving, and she's worth getting to know more intimately for her for her raw natural beauty. Right? We've seen like rock rock faces that are just majestic with their limestone and like these plants that you got to be tough to grow on limestone. Um, You know, we often see, uh, of course, all the bird life, butterflies crossing the the water. Um, And of course, the marine mammals, they're such big, iconic things, yet they're not really the first thing that people think about when you say Langkawi. Mm. So really, I I wanted to try and draw as many um, cool and exciting facts as I could uh, about Langkawi uh, and put it into this fictional storybook in a fun and in, but informative way uh, in the hopes that if you never knew that uh, a meteorite once struck the island archipelago uh, millions of years ago, well, then you'd find that information in this book. Of course, along with just enjoying the adventures that... Um, little Aluna, the paupers and her mom go through in a day.
0: So she kind of takes us on a tour, I guess, of, you know, the different sort of um, marine mammals and marine uh, animals and wildlife that we can actually encounter just along uh, this archipelago alone, isn't it? That's sort of like the story that you went for.
1: Yes. So I I made sure that we covered the air, we covered underwater (laughs) and we covered on the water. Uh, I wanted to feature some uh, traditional fishing practice that, uh, has just recently seems to have sort of stopped um, in the archipelago, but we even pre-pandemic we were still able to witness this um, traditional fishing method where the fishermen would um, have these big shells, seashells, tied onto these strings, and then they lower it into the water and leave it there overnight, so that that's the way that they catch octopus. Mm. Uh, but speaking to my boatman recently, it appears that that one last remaining family who still practiced, who had practiced that method of fishing. Uh, doesn't do it anymore. I don't know why. So, But I just thought, why not try to immortalize it in in the book uh, and for kids to learn and read about it, and even if they never get to see it, if they're out at sea, that it lives on as a a knowledge piece uh, in this book. And um, there's also, uh, I mean, before this, have you even after having spent so much time around the archipelago, uh, we're typically working on the water. We're on yeah. the boat studying these dolphins. And we don't dive or anything for that because, I mean, the water is typically quite uh, turbid. I mean, the visibility is not great. Um, and But, you know, I I came to know of um, this uh, scuba outfit that, you know, operates on the island and they take guests uh, out just to nearby, to the nearby island's Um 10 minutes from Pantai Chenang. So when I follow their social media posts, I saw that, oh, actually not too far from where people do all the water sports and jet ski parasailing things, you can go diving and find a plethora of uh, marine biodiversity from soft corals to um, pipefishes and seahorses. I mean, orange colored seahorses. How exciting is Dang. that? Yeah. And um, frogfish. So you know, when I dive, I don't I don't dive so often these days because of time constraints. But when I do dive, did dive, I I used to love trying to see frogfish in in the water, and it appears that Langkawi has quite a good number of frogfish that sort of hide amongst the rocks and the corals. And I thought that's so cool, and people need to know about this. Um, and then other just other species of fish and invertebrates, nudibranch and sea urchins and what have you, I just wanted to put that in the book so that when somebody reads it, then they might, be, I don't know, have that aha moment like I did when I first learned that, oh, actually Langkawi has dive sites right in around the main island itself because most people, I think before this, uh, people do go diving around Langkawi, but they go off to Pulau Paya. Yes, yeah. Right, right, where you have clearer water, it's your typ- typical hard coral reef kind of reef, um, and less so around the main archipelago. So, yeah, I, I think it was just important to try and. Um, Put all these. So these, I, I did a bit of you know prep work for the book. Uh, being a scientist, of course, I had to search through literature and you know verify the information is correct and it was referenced. It was from a properly referenced um, source, etc. Um, but then what I found is that all these cool facts that I was writing down across my notebook, but they were all scattered in this old old literature, some report somewhere. You know, sometimes if I didn't write it down, I had to like spend another one hour kind of googling (laughs) again for with all the keywords. Oh, where is that link that I just? So I thought, why not just. Get all these facts as many as I can. I mean, I'm sure what I've given in the book is just the tip of the iceberg of what Longkawi has and can offer, right? But I thought, why not put it all in one place in a fun, uh, in a fun and interactive way? Um, and you know, Celine, I, I need to give credit to her. She she's so talented, and she really works so hard to. Bring this story to life.
0: And she's, of course, the illustrator. Yeah, yeah, she's
1: the illustrator. And to bring the story to life um, and in the way that I envisioned for it to be. I mean, we worked, you know, we, we would toss ideas back and forth. Uh, but I said, I want the book to be close to the truth of what people could see and could experience of the archipelago and um we went i think a million times going back and forth uh with edits and changes and reshuffling uh, over like a year and a half but i think the final product it just it just i mean there's the story and then you know we put in the visuals and it just kind of magic i feel it just comes to life and uh yeah, I'm just really happy.
0: No, as you should be, and it's a it a beautiful book. It's also visually very stunning, right? I mean, I think even choice of color was important uh, in you know the illustrations and the final product of the book, isn't it?
1: Yes. Um. So, um, if 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 any one of you out there have uh, have a copy of this book already, thank you. Uh, or if you. Um, go to our website, You the the ebook. you can see the theme colour of the book actually uh, is an emerald green. Yeah. And that was uh, deliberate uh, in, or intentional, I will say, because that's basically the colour uh, on most days of what the seawater around Langkawi looks like. It's not your crystal clear turquoise or blue kind of water. Neither is it You know, brown and muddy but in general Langkawi has this green, emerald green hue to the water so that's why the book is uh, pretty much emerald green throughout and um, one of the things that I, you know so initially um, my idea when I first started with the book, Celine and I started working, I had a vision um, to have the book illustrated in a batik style Mm, mm -hmm. think of like batik but like these pictures. Um, I think anyone who knows me well knows that I have a love for for Malaysian batik especially. And I always just want to find ways to represent the country in any form. I'm not a creative person per se. I can't draw to save my life, but sometimes <laughs> I have ideas. I just like, but I don't know how to like put it, you know, to make it a real- reality. So I discussed with Celine and um, I think in the end we decided that it would be too challenging to make the whole book look like batik. Okay. But what what you would have is that when you open the book um, after you uh, pass the forward and, and the back two pages as well is this motif that is actually um, inspired by batik. It's in a batik-esque style. Yep. And what you will notice in this uh, motif is that there are uh, two things, three things that's are featured mainly on this pattern. One is the sea hibiscus. Again, everybody knows the bungaraya. It's our national flower. Um, And I love bungaraya, but... I also love everything that has to do with the sea, so of course, when there's a sea hibiscus, <laughs> uh, you know, even more, I I, I like oh lagi like suka, right? Yeah. So uh, sea hibiscus is a really beautiful flower. It grows in many parts of along the Malaysian coastline, and certainly you find it quite easily around Langkawi. And so I thought let's let's put this beautiful flower in just so that people can try and figure out what is this flower and what's interesting about the sea hibiscus. Flower, uh, the plant is that the the leaves are heart shaped, mm. and I thought that was a nice sort of uh, indirect touch. Um, that this book is an ode to Langkawi, right? So it's like a heart shape, because to just rep- represent the love that uh, I I have for for the archipelago, and then of course there are these. Uh, what someone said to me is that the rong is that eggplant. It's not eggplant. <laughs> it's actually meant to be the propagules of um, mangrove. Um, like rhizophora, mangrove, you know, the... Okay,
0: now that you tell me I see it, <laughs> la, but it does look rather... Yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> so it's the propagules that, you know, once they, they they develop on the main tree and then once it's time, they drop off and they kind of stick into the ground, they up into the ground and they grow into new mangroves. And Langkawi has uh, an amazing diversity of um, mangrove, Species, I think I read somewhere uh, at least more than half of the world's mangrove species can be found in Langkawi, and Langkawi is also the only place in the country where mangroves grow directly on limestone. So it's it's all very special, and so none of this was like just by chance. We you know we put in a, a leaf or two there, but it was really. I wanted to um, represent these small little representations in the book, and you'll see throughout the book in certain chapters that this motif appears. That's right, like in the in the wake of the of the boat, or just as a like an afterthought on the side of the page, and and stuff like that. So, um, so this was like the in between of. Uh, not having the whole book illustrated in a Batik style, but to put like a Batik-inspired pattern throughout. Just again, reminding us um, of a beautiful heritage that we have, uh, natural heritage, which is Langkawi, and cultural heritage, which is uh, Batik. So that's that's where I, I kind of uh, went with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, another interesting thing is that some of the characters that appear in the book are actually, for example, the dolphins. They're actually dolphins that we've catalogued in our photo identification database. Uh, so I gave Celine photographs of the dolphins' dorsal fins. Uh, you know, some have scars and a nick and a notch somewhere. Ah. And I got her to draw them to to that spec just because, again, we're talking about Langkawi and I just I just wanted to have actual... Uh, dolphins that actually exist in real life kind of uh, feature in the book. Um, of course, the the story is still fictional, but some of these characters actually live in a database <laughs> somewhere. So we've got like... That you've seen in catalog That we've seen in catalog. you know, and we've seen them several times. So we've got Sharker, who's actually a shark bite survivor. So you can see, if yes. you have the book, you'll see the scars on the body. We've got Jari and Fan Belt. Fan Belt's our very famous dolphin because it's a survivor of a massive... Um, uh, i like a what what looks like an engine fan belt that was um, stuck on its body and um it survived we didn't think it would live but it survived and uh it's still out there so yeah um lots of uh very lots of things that are sort of personalized um to langkawi yeah so
0: and I love that it's coming from you, you know, who you've, like you said, you spent so much of time that you're almost like a local, I would say. Uh, and so it's coming from, you know, it's not just like you're plucking scientific facts and putting it there. These are, you know, stories that you've lived through, stories that you've experienced. You're putting it all together. And uh, again, for people who don't, you know, like they go for, OK, la, I'll, go, I'll go for like a nice beach holiday. I'll yeah. go for, OK, it's beautiful, whatever. There's so much there that you could see. I think people, some people don't even know that there are, you know, like uh, these huge sort of cetaceans in the Langkawi waters, isn't it?
1: Actually, not just outsiders, Um, some years ago, Mara said uh, on one of our non-boat days, our rest day, we ran our Sea Science and Schools program in Mm. one of the local schools uh, in Langkawi. And I remember, I always start with like, how many of you here have seen dolphins? It's like a typical question, right? So I started with, okay, we all live on an island, we're here. Uh, How many of you go to the beach very often? And in a room of about thirty students, maybe three, two to three hands came up. I thought, okay, uh, okay, how many of you uh, know there are dolphins in Langkawi? Mm, maybe another two hands came oh, up. No. Yeah, so that's when you know it really hit hit me that. There are kids who have grown up on on the island, but for whatever reason, have not gone or had the opportunity to spend much time by the beach or even go out to sea to see these dolphins that are literally in their backyard. Uh, so actually, uh, just before uh, was it no? Just sometime in the pandemic years, during one of the like the um, when the lockdowns were lifted. The, the lockdowns were lifted. We actually had the opportunity to take um, some kids from the village in Langkawi out. Uh, we took two boats out, took them out to sea, to to see the dolphins. Uh, oh, and so they lucky. were so thrilled because many of them, first time on a boat, uh, except for the ferry, like most of them would have maybe taken the ferry across to the mainland. But most of them have never been like just on a boat. And so we took them out at Kilim and we spent like two hours. Those, those The weather was really rough that day. So I was getting a bit anxious, like, oh, no, we're not going to find any dolphins. And th- we might have to turn around because, you know, the, the waves were quite strong. But very luckily, uh, after two hours of searching, the dolphins showed up. Mm-hmm. And I was so relieved. But the kids, I mean, it was just so rewarding to see the joy and the excitement of, of uh, on their faces and in their voices. And they were all... Screaming, squealing, and you know they they kept taking the binoculars out and and putting it to their eyes and trying to look for these dolphins, and it was just amazing. And but but then I told myself like we need to do more of this because never mind people who don't live in Langkawi, not from Langkawi, but even some of them who have lived there all their life, just somehow have a lower lack of awareness or low awareness about the marine resource, the natural resources and the marine assets that the archipelago has. So hopefully, um, I mean, hopefully our work, you know, can open new doors for for the local community there in this respect. And um, of course, the book, I'm really hoping that uh, we can, uh, change people's views and mindsets. In fact, I mean, this is this is the book in English, and uh, we hope the plan is that uh, next year, hopefully, we will be able to have the resources to uh, make a Bahasa version.
0: That would be lovely. Um, yeah.
1: And we would, I mean, and if anybody is interested to uh, support this endeavor, the idea is to um, print copies in the Bahasa version and distribute those for free. First to schools to the kids in Langkawi, um, but then nationwide to any um, scholar kebangsaan.
0: Yeah I yeah. think we've spoken about this before right how there's a lack of I guess you know stories or uh, information on conservation in uh, in vernacular languages in, in in but also in bahasa uh, a lot of it is in English right so yes. that would be a wonderful um, idea and I guess you know what I also love about this book right is you've got you've got this beautiful map there as well yes. right so you can sort of picture where exactly uh you know you are traveling through through the story and for me, because you know all these words that you've been using, there's a lovely glossary at the end, yes. which is so helpful. You know when I'm <laughs> trying to explain things to my kids, because I was reading, uh, I had the the digital copy, right? I haven't got the uh, the printed one just yet, but the digital copy. You know they're like, what does this mean? What does this mean? So <laughs> lucky, there's a glossary in there for me too. I uh, know.
1: I I, I after I, re- I wrote the after I wrote the, the story, I realised, and I already tried to ensure that I simplified it down to as much as I possibly could. Sure. Yeah, um, and then I I thought, but some words, it's just hard to simplify any further, mm-hmm. even though I've used the most simple form of the word to mean what I wanted to say. But that's where I thought a glossary would be useful because then uh, people can learn. And, and it's not just for kids. Uh, somebody read the book. and Clearly it's for me, right? I didn't know either. Yeah. <laughs> somebody, an adult read the book and then uh, messaged me uh, and said, I never knew what the word karst meant, K-A-R-S-T. But now I know what it means because you listed that word out in the glossary. Uh, And, you know, this person lives in Langkawi and, you know, the Kilim Karst Geopark, <laughs> yes. GeoForest Forest Park is such a big part of the Lankawi Geopark. So uh, but she finally now knows what Karst means. So I thought that's great. I think I'm happy I put the glossary in. i, I it, it was a challenge actually, to uh, define those words in the glossary because, okay, I put the I put the word in the glossary. and then it's like, uh, okay, how do I explain this word now in mm-hmm. the most understandable way? Right, because mm-hmm. that's the whole point of a glossary, and the map. I'm I'm really happy. I when I was doing prep work for for the for the book, I, I read through so many kids' storybooks. I read books that were just like big words and five words per page to uh, sort of a little bit more complex, like this book and everything in between. You know, I was looking at like design styles, book vibes, all of that. And I was reading a book, a kid's storybook from Mozambique. Okay. And this particular book caught my eye because it had a beautiful map on it of the place where the story was centered on. And I just thought, you know what, this is this is a cool idea. And so I'm going to propose it to the illustrator to see if she can make a map of Langkawi. And I knew that it, it would be a challenge because Langkawi is... You know, not just a, a evenly shaped island, and it's an archipelago of so many islands. But I thought, let's just try, and I and Celine did a good job at the map. And so many people have said this map is beautiful, and I was actually very happy because the other day a friend of mine, she she got a copy of the book, and her I think her seven year old daughter was reading it as a bedtime story, <laughs> yes. and apparently she kept the the daughter kept referencing the map, perfect, just to sort of. Um, get her bearings on where what was where based on the storyline. So I thought, okay, it was a good idea to put the map in then because it's, it's not just a beautiful map but actually the readers have a a use for it, yeah. So
0: um, and you and you know that little one is going to come with the book when they go to Langkawi and use that as their reference point as well. You know that's going to happen. That too. would
1: make me so happy, <laughs> really. Um, <laughs>
0: so it's it's a beautiful book, Louisa, and you know Thank really, you. Uh, you know, congratulations again. And uh, there is of course a um, an online version. So there's a a PDF version yes. uh, on the Marisette website, right? Yes, and that's correct. for free, right? That's, yes, for free. Okay, but the book itself can be purchased, uh, and I think it's forty ringgit, yes. uh, and it's available at the, um, where is it now, it's available at your uh, your online shop?
1: Yes, and Shopee.
0: And Shopee, okay. Yeah, so we Shopee. just need to search for the Little Marisette shop on Shopee, right? Yes, correct. Uh, or you can contact you guys as well, right, at shopandmarisette.org? Yes, correct. Okay, and I believe all proceeds are going to go towards supporting the good, uh, the important research that you guys are doing as well. Yes, definitely. Okay, alright. Louisa, thank you so much. Uh, but before I let you go, you know, very quickly, I do know, you know, you are doing, this is something that you know, I think all the scientists and Conservation Asian scientists and biologists that I speak to, you know, the, yes, we graduated with this degree and this PhD. But yeah, a lot of our work is, you know, finding creative ways, isn't it, to get people uh, interested? I mean, and you also do things like the whales on the wheels um, uh, education, m- mobile marine education. You're doing, I mean, what are some of the other projects in the pipeline?
1: So uh, definitely, I think we live in a, va- a changing world. a world that's changing very fast. And not just the world, the physical world itself, but people are changing. You know, I think, uh, uh, I, I think attention spans are getting shorter. Uh, everyone's looking for some because with social media and all these things these days, the digi- digital things, people are looking for. Th- anything that's different. Yeah. So I think we need to always um, pivot the way we, we do things, uh, including science, including conservation, because we need to be able to relate to to people um, and for them to be able to take notice of what you're trying to say or do. So uh, definitely um, it's very important, I think, to merge uh, science with the creative side of things, Uh and and many of us are of course uh, trained as scientists and not necessarily always have that creative talent, but there's lots of creative talents out there, and that's where we can team up with them mm-hmm. to 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 produce uh, a beautiful piece of work that where where science meets art and art meets uh, science. Uh, and yes, um, glad you mentioned the whales on the wheels. Um, Mobile Marine Education Nationwide Tour. It's always a mouthful. <laughs> we are uh, about to kickstart leg four of the tour. Uh, actually, this week uh, on Thursday, we leave to Klantan first. So we start in Klantan and we're going to make our way down through Terengganu uh, and then Pahang and then uh, Johor East Coast. So Mersing, the Saru. Nice. And then we will wrap up that leg of the tour in Kota Tinggi in Johor. Uh, and then come back, and then the grand finale of this tour will be in Selangor, Klang Valley, KL, uh, Putrajaya in October. So we've already toured half the country last year. We covered most of the, yeah, we covered all of the west coast, all the way up to Langkawi. So we took the whale truck on the car ferry across to the <laughs> island. Nice. Yeah, and uh, I'm hoping it is my my dream that. We could someday take this whale truck across to uh, Sabah and Sarawak. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, logistically it'll be quite a, a big uh, task, and it can be complicated. And, and but lots of people have said, "Why don't you bring it across to Sabah and Sarawak?" And so, but if we have the resources, uh, we would definitely want to do that. So that's going to be happening. Yeah, this week our Lake Four our tour, and I, we've just um, this year sort of. Last year, middle of last year, actually, we kicked off our marine mammal uh, bycatch mitigation uh, program project, which is currently focused in Para, where we are trialing out methods of mitigating um, bycatch in um, local fishing gear. So, how can we uh, do something to this fishing gear to prevent um, dolphins and porpoises from coming close? and getting entangled and later dying. Mm-hmm. And also on the fishermen's side, we want them to benefit. So some fishermen complain that the dolphins come and steal fish off their nets. Okay, And sometimes when they do that, the nets get damaged. And to fix a net can be quite costly. So we're trialing out these um, uh, pingers, what we call it, acoustic pingers, that ping out a sound in the hopes that it will deter dolphins and porpoises from coming in the that the nets so that they don't get uh, they they lower their bycatch risk and fishermen can also go home happy okay. and uh, hopefully if it works then we can think about in the near future sort of scaling it up and introducing and rolling out these methods for bycatch mitigation across the country so okay. that's what we've been um, busy with and of course uh, you know uh, in the last couple of years uh, last year we sort of really went um, head on with our uh, whale project studying large whales in the offshore waters of Kedah. So uh, lot, lots going on at Marisette. Um I, I always say that Marasat is a city that never sleeps. <laughs> <laughs> and you see, The sea never
0: sleeps. The and ocean never yeah.
1: sleeps. <laughs> I mean, I've always lack of sleep, so I don't know why I always just sort of there's just always something new that, you know, we will, you know, we'll think about doing, but I guess that keeps everything exciting. And, uh, but most importantly, we want to do work that matters and work that's important. And, um, you know, we're very grateful for all the opportunities to connect with local communities, to connect with, uh, you know, a whole group of volunteers. People have been so generous with us with their time and effort. And of course, uh, the team, they work really hard. So, uh, we couldn't do a lot of what we, I mean. It's not just me, but there's a whole team doing everything. So, yeah, I think uh, I'm I'm really pleased um, with where we're at, and and just completely grateful uh, f- for all the opportunities that we have. And uh, I'm excited for uh, lots of people to read this book. Uh, so again, the ebook is available online, um, and uh, feel free to drop us a line and uh, tell us. How you found the book, if you found it interesting, or just any feedback at all, I'm happy to hear. This is our first book, my first book, so I'd love to know what people think.
0: I'm already waiting for the sequel or the second (laughs) book. Uh, There's so much I think that you can... (laughs) Beautiful book. No, really, it's so stunning. And uh, again, you know, uh, for more information, folks just need to head to the website. So that's Mariset, that's M A R E C E T dot O R G, uh, or search for you guys the little Mariset shop on Shopee. Yes. Again, uh, available for purchase, 40 ringgit only. Uh, and it's, it's a substantial book, you know, guys. I just want you to know that there is a lot of information there. It's not five words in a page kind of thing. There is a lot of information there. I learned so much. Uh, and of course, you know, with my little brain, I really appreciated the illustrations as well. my kids and I did so again do get that book uh, as soon as you can Louisa. thank you so much for joining me today Thank you so much Juliet It was an absolute pleasure I was speaking to Dr Louisa Ponampulam executive director and chairperson of the Maraset research organization she's also a marine biologist and now the author of Mummy Where's My Dorsal Fin If you miss any part of our chat today you can always search for the podcast at bfm.my/earth you can also find it on the BFM app this has been Earth Matters on the bigger picture BFM 89.9